you've been here very long, you'll know that he'll have me at the altar. He'll have me laid on the floor back there. He'll have me sitting in a certain seat in the back or in the front or wherever it's at. And he'll show me things while I'm in those positions because you can't always see every perspective from right here, right? I have to come back there and sit where you're at to see what you see from up here and, and what God wants to show me from where I'm at. So last week I was, it was not this last week, Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, I was laying in the floor there about where, where uh, Brother Lloyd is and I was laying on my stomach face down and I was praying to God and, and he was speaking to me. And, and I always have this, this thing about when I come in here to pray usually, it, I, it's just in my head or whatever, but I, I picture God as being here on the cross. Or Jesus being here on the cross. And, and some of you got that certain place, you know, that you got to go to, that you feel like you have to be there to be able to get a hold of God, right? Am I the only one that does that? Or is it sometimes we feel like we got to go to church to get a hold of God? But I lay there long enough till things started falling asleep. And, and, and so I rolled over and I was laying on my back and I was about where Sister Mary's walker is. And, and God showed me that he's not only here, he's right here. And he's all around me. He's inside of me and he's back in the back of the church. And he's, he, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And, and he's all over the place all the time. To, to, the meaning of omnipresent is the present in all places at all times. Now think about how big this is. If we could even wrap our mind around being omnipresent, we, 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 would, we would probably act a lot different. We, we would be able to see even a fraction of the glory of God and how big he is and how great he is. But me and Brenda, we've flown from, we, we went to San Diego a few months ago to see our, our oldest graduate Marine boot camp, right? Then we went this... Just a few months ago, again, in January it was, we went to Florida for vacation, right? So think about all the little farms and the houses and the cities that we flew over just from Kansas City to San Diego, right? And then we flew back to Kansas City, and then we flew from Kansas City to Florida. All the farms and the houses and all those individual things those people had going on. Some of those people are out in the middle of nowhere. Think nobody knows anything that's going on around their house. I know it gets that way at our house sometimes. We, we live where we can't see our neighbors or anything, and, and sometimes it seems like it's a pretty secluded place. It's a pretty private place. But God's in all those places, around all those people all the time, from coast to coast. Not only from coast to coast, from the east to the west, also from the north to the south, but, but then think about this. He's also in China, in all those places, billions of people on earth. He's around all those people and, and in some of those people all the time, everywhere all the time. Can you wrap your head around that? At the same time he's doing that, he's in Australia. All at the same time, he's in Russia. All at the same time. This God we serve is a huge God. A powerful God. There's power in the name of Jesus. The Bible says he can hold the water of the seas in his hand. Think about it. You ever been to the ocean and see how big it is? It's as far as you can see the left, and it's as far as you can see the right. And it's as far out as you can see on the horizon. I've been on a deep sea fishing trip one time, and they take you out where you can't even see the land anymore. It's just water in any direction you look. And that little boat, it was a 55-foot long boat that I was in. It had a, it had a living room in it and a couple bedrooms and, and, and a big TV and all this stuff, and it had a big picture window on the side of it. And I was sitting in the living room on the couch, and you would rock this way and rock this way. A 55-foot long boat, biggest boat I've ever been on. But I'd be looking at the water, and then I'd be looking at the sky. And looking at the water... Felt really small out there. Felt like a little speck. But the Bible says God can hold the waters of the seas in his palm of his hand. In his hand. Think about how big and powerful, not just the weight of it, the, the mass of it. I can't hold an ounce of water probably in my hand and it's leaking through my fingers. But think about how big this God is that we serve. It says, he, it says he's omnipotent. Omnipotent. Anybody know what omnipotent is? That means having unlimited or universal power, authority over force. All power. Unlimited. Can you imagine having unlimited power? 
This made my mind go to like you've seen a picture of a, of a nuclear bomb set off, right? An atom bomb set off. There's this big explosion and there's, and there's a tube looks like of an explosion going up and then the mushroom cloud comes out the top of it. And how much power is in that? But that's just a little speck on God's radar. God has unlimited power. That's destructive power. He has good power, right? He has unlimited power. That's very limited. Just a drop in the bucket compared to what God can do. Think about this. Man can make that big explosion and tear things up and kill some people, but God spoke and the whole world came into existence. How much power do you think that takes? Unlimited power we're talking about. Today is Palm Sunday. For those of you who don't know, you know what Palm Sunday was? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? They were putting palm leaves down on the road in front of him as he rode in. This coming Friday would be the day he was crucified. Some 2,000-something years ago, he was crucified on that day. Right? On Sunday, next Sunday, will be the day he's resurrected. I'm talking about the power of the name of Jesus still. I'm talking about that power still. So we could be saved. He did that just so that I could be saved from hell. Just so that you could be saved from hell. So we could be not only saved from hell, but we could be, we could be saved from sin as we're here on this earth. Right? So God transforms people into his temple in which he dwells. All the time. So we can be in his presence 24-7. Just like when I was laying back on the floor, he showed me I'm in his presence 24-7 that I can worship him anytime that I want to worship him. We have a free will. He gave us all a free will. We can worship him. We can choose to do that or we can choose not to do that. But the veil was rent. When Jesus died on that cross, he went down to hell, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That veil of the old temple was rent. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, the old temple, they used to have a, a tabernacle that was made out of a tent. There was a veil that separated the holy from the holiest of holies. You see, man back in that day had to, when they sinned, and we all have sinned, they had to go to the priest. Aaron and his family, the Levites, he had to go to them and give them a sacrifice for him to take to God and give him the sacrifice. Because common man, we couldn't have went into the holiest of holies. It was only that family that could. The priest, the Levitican priest, right? So when Jesus was, when he died on that cross that says the veil was rent, right? The veil was ripped in half. Now any man can be the temple. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. We are the temple. Now that doesn't mean we're getting, we get out of going to church. We're not off the hook for going to church because in the New Testament, the new deal we got, the new covenant that we got, it doesn't say lay out a church. It doesn't say that. It says fail not to assemble yourselves. So even though we are the temple, even though God lives in our heart, the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost and fire, whatever you want to call him, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, even though he lives in my heart, I still need to come around other believers so that we can feed off of each other, right? We can pray for each other. We can lift each other up. Does that make sense to you? So it still says fail not to assemble yourselves, but we don't have to go to the temple to be in God's presence is what I'm getting at. We're in God's presence everywhere we go, but we still do need to come in to, to the church. The church is the body, not this building. You all know that if you've been here very long. So Jeremiah 31 and 34 says he's given us a new covenant at this time. God says he's given us a new covenant. It says he's going to write his words on our heart. Instead of having 630-some laws, he's writing his words on our hearts, right? He lives inside of us. Does that make sense so far? We are a tabernacle. We don't have to go to here. He, he lives in us. Jesus is the high priest, right? He takes the place of the Levit- Levitican priest. He is the high priest now. He's our link to God. Are you following me? In the Old Testament, they had to go to the priest in the tabernacle, and that was their link to God, to go behind the veil and make the sacrifices and whatever he had to do in there to, to buy them another year to get by. But they, ne- they never were truly forgiven completely of their sins. 
It, it took the blood of Jesus. It took the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. I'm going to read you the scripture here in a little bit. But he is our link to God. He's an intercessory prayer for us all the time. You ought to be getting happy right here. You have Jesus Christ as an interceder in prayer for you, Sister Carol. And he's praying for all of us all the time. He says he knows the numbers of the hairs on our head. He knows all of us by name, and he's praying for all of us all the time. We still have a free will. We can still muck it up if we want to. But he wants us to do well. There's power in the name of Jesus. Think about this. Brother Jim talked a little bit about other religions this morning. The Muslim religion, the prophet Muhammad was the leader of it, right? There's 1.2 billion followers of the Muslim religion, right? If you ask any one of those believers, they'll tell you that Muhammad, he lived, he died, and that was it. He's gone. He's not coming back. He didn't raise from the dead. Ask any of them. 1.2 billion of them. Surely you can find one. You can ask them about it. They'll tell you that's the story. Lived, died, that was it. End of the story. The Buddhist religion. Buddha lived, right? 350 million followers. He lived, he died, that was it. Ask them. They'll tell you. That's what their book teaches them. Chinese tradition, Confucius. Everybody's heard of Confucius say some wise man, right? He was a wise man that lived a long time ago. 225 million followers. Still believe Confucius it is some sort, none of these guys claim to be the God, but believe he's some sort of something. But he lived, he died, and that was it. Yeah. Ask them, 225 million of them. Go ahead and ask them. They'll tell you the same story. I've done messed my notes up this morning, so this might get good. <laughs> Four. But then you come to the name of Jesus Christ. Two billion followers. Biggest, religious, biggest religion on earth, right? Two billion, not only followers, but we call them Christians, right? We call ourselves Christians because we're trying to be like Jesus Christ. We want to strive, not that we'll ever arrive because he was perfect and I'm not, but we're always striving to be like him, to be more like him all the time. He lived. The government killed him. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And on the third day, he rose again. Think about that. And there's proof in history that he rose again. It's not just some crazy people saying it. He showed himself off to over 500 people over 40 days. And then he ascended right in front of their eyes up to heaven. These people that claim to, 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 claim to hear this from Jesus Christ, they could have been martyred. They were martyred just for giving their testimony. Do you think those people would have allowed themselves to be martyred to tell a lie? I think not. Not that many people. You might get one or two nuts in the world, but you're not going to get hundreds of them in the same place at the same time to say, I'm going to die for a lie. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He rose again on the third day. Acts 4, 12 says this, still talking about the power in the name of Jesus. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved. You have to come through the blood of Jesus Christ to be saved. You have to, you must come through the blood of Jesus Christ to be saved. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in that blood of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain of sin, poverty, addiction, sickness, mental or physical sickness, right? It breaks every chain. An example is right here in Acts 19, 11 through 16. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Apostle Paul we're talking about, right? Come on. So that every, or so that even handkerchiefs or aprons, that's where we get our prayer cloths from, right? So that even aprons or, or 
or handkerchiefs were brought from his body to the sick. So he would have wore an apron in his, in his line of work. I studied this out a little bit. He would have wore an apron, and they would take that apron that he sweated on when he was working, and, and the sick would be healed, and the sick and, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them just because this thing had touched him, just because this piece of cloth had touched him. Come on, sis. Then some of the, the itinerant Jews, uh, exorcists, took it upon themselves to call, to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise uh, you by the... By we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. These itinerant Jews weren't in a relationship with God, though, right? They weren't in a relationship with Jesus. They had just saw this done, so they tried to pull it on their own. Are you following me? They may have came to church and seen somebody healed. They saw some things that was happening with Paul. They saw people healed by cloths that had touched Paul, so they figured they'd give it a world themselves. They were doing it for a profit, right? Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. These are also in the same boat, these seven sons of Siva. Siva was a priest, but his sons were doing it for profit. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Have you ever seen a fight where someone got the clothes beat off of them? And they ran away naked and wounded? Think about this. The spirit knew who Jesus was. They knew who Paul was. But they didn't know this man because he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Are you following me? I want the enemy to know who I am. You should want the enemy to know who you are. And I want him to flee. I want the enemy, the, the, the foul spirits, and the devil just to get out of my way because they know who I am. Think about that, who I am. Because I have a relationship with I am. And they know that I have that relationship with I am. And I can use his name. They know already when they come against me, TJ, when they come against your mind, they should know already that I'm going to use his word. I'm going to use his name against them. And they should fear you because of that. They should fear you because of that, because of a Christian. Every demon in hell trembles at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Every one of them tremble. It's because of the delegated authority. It's not because I have the power in myself. It's not because you have the power in yourself, but it's because of the delegated authority. It's like the police are. When a, I've said this before. When, when an officer of the law steps out in front of my 4,700-pound F-150 and puts his hand out and says, Stop. He doesn't have the power to stop that truck. It'll roll right over him and not even bat an eye. But it's because of all the authority that's behind him. If you run over that cop, if you roll that F-150 over him, guess what's going to happen next? They're going to come with all the cops in Excelsior in the county and the state. And, and how many ever they need, that's how many they're going to come with to, to get you out of that F-150, right? It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. Those foul spirits know when you have a relationship with Jesus and you use that name of Jesus and you call upon that name of Jesus and you throw in God's word out there on them, you're using those things on them, they fear you. I want them to know who I am, just like they knew who, who Paul was and they got out of his way. He sent an apron over there and they said, oh boy, we better get out of the way. Paul's apron is even here. What he sweated on when he worked is here. So it said the sickness and the foul spirits fled away from him, did it not? Isn't that what the word said? We should be seeing this today. We should be saying this today. It's the name above all names. Here it is in the scripture. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? Who's us? 
the believers, right? To us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Come on. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we have access to. Isn't that what that says right there? It's delegated, though. If that officer that stepped out there in front of that 4,700-pound F-150, if he had broke the law and they revoked his authority, guess what? doesn't work anymore. He doesn't have the state backing him. He doesn't have the county backing him. He doesn't have all those things anymore. Church, if we're living in sin and we're not living according to God's decrees, we're not going to have that same authority either. It won't work for us. It goes on to say, which he raised from the dead and seated him at his own right hand, in the heavenly places. I'm sorry, I'm read, I have this memorized in the King James, so if you don't notice that there's a few words in the King James popping out of my mouth before I read it. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. How far above? Far, far above. Not a little bit above it, right? Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And what? Every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So how many names is that? Every one of them, right? Cancer, poverty, addiction, sin. Name it. Mental illness, physical illness, whatever it may be. All names. Christ is seated far above all those names. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. If Christ is the head, who's the church? We're the church. So Christ is the head. We're the body. So if he's far above all those things, where are we? How many of you know that we can't get up and I can't get up and set my head in the chair and take my body back and use the restroom? Right? The head and the body stay together. Spiritually speaking, we're seated next to God. He's our intercessor, right? He's praying to God all the time on my behalf. Are you following me? Which is the body, us, the church, we're the body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. What's that mean right there? All in all. That's everything, right? He fulfills everything. For the church, when we ask in his name, according to his will. Good job, Sister Mary. According to his will. Somebody's been listening. (laughs) Far above every name that is named. So anything that has a name that we put on it, Christ's authority, Christ's dominion, is far above that. And he's our key. He's our access to God. He's our new high priest. When that veil was rent, we didn't need the family very anymore. We didn't need the high priest to go make a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice, right? And he's praying to God for us all the time. So now we don't have to have animals to sacrifice. We just go and talk to him. We can go boldly to the throne room of God, the Bible says, right? John 14, 13, and 14 says, and whatever you ask in my name, my there's capitalized, right? If you look in your Bible, if you look it up in your Bible, that's written in red, so that's Jesus Christ talking. Whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Who's glorified by this? The Father. So if you ask it in my name, I'll do it for you. So why don't we just ask for a Powerball ticket? It was just 400 and something million dollars I heard. Boy, I'd love to have that. I'd be in the full-time ministry. I would never go back to Ford again. They can have what's in my locker. Right? I'll send a lawyer to get my retirement. Why can't we just ask for something like that? Because in 1 John 14, 14, and 15, it says we have to pray according to his will so that he's glorified. We want the Father to be glorified. When we're praying according to his will, the Father's glorified. God is glorified through the way we live our lives because we repent. Is he glorified in the way I live my life when I lived in the world? No, absolutely not. But the way that I live my life and the way that God has changed me since I came out of the world 
Many of you have been saved because of the way that God changed my life. He's glorified through that. And it's not just me. I'm not anybody. Many of you have seen people saved because of the way God has changed your life also. That's how God is glorified, because we repent. Repent means to turn away from it. For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To turn away from that sin that you know you're doing wrong, that's how God's glorified. Come out among, from among them and be ye separate. We're supposed to look different, church. We're supposed to look different than the world does, not physically, of course, but in our actions, in our spirit, we're different. We have a different attitude about us. When things go wrong, we don't get down. We depend on God. We keep chugging along and we depend on God, right? We look different than the world does. There's something different about him. When the world sees us, they say, there's something different about that lady right there. I want what she's got. She's got something that we're missing, right? To bring glory to God, uh, it brings glory. It brings glory to God to have His children blessed or in authority. That's why He placed us in that place of authority. In Genesis one twenty six, He said, "Let us give man or make man in our image and after our likeness, and give them dominion over the whole earth." Did He not? I'm paraphrasing there. But to have us healed and living in authority, authority and living blessed, it doesn't do God any good to see us living poor. When the world sees Christians living poor and not having anything. I don't understand why everybody, Brother Jim hit on it this morning. He said, if you want to get rich, become a preacher. I don't know about you, but I worked for two years for free before I ever got anything, before I ever got paid for anything. And that was just in this church, not to mention where we came from. If, if you want to be a pastor, you have to serve first. In the kingdom of God, if you ever want to lead, you've got to serve first. And it doesn't pay much when you're serving. It doesn't pay anything. Actually, it costs you money because you're driving around doing things on your own dime. It doesn't pay. I didn't do it for the money. Nobody does it for the money. But, but. I don't understand why people see Joel Olstein and people like that on the TV, TV evangelists I see on TV, and I'm not lifting Joel Olstein up or putting him down, but people will say, well, he's got this big fancy house. Why should he have this big fancy house? He's got a jet airplane. Would you want to be following a pastor who's broke? That would tell me that the promises of God aren't coming to fruition in his life. Why shouldn't he be blessed? If he's the man of God, why shouldn't I be blessed? Why shouldn't you be blessed? We're all part of the same body. Why shouldn't you be blessed? Why shouldn't we all be living? I mean, does it do any good for the world to see us sick and broken down and depressed and suicidal and, and, and whatever else it is? Does, does it do, is that glorifying God in any way? Do you want to see your children do badly? Have you ever sat back and thought, boy, I hope when Grace grows up, I hope she's broke. I hope she's poor. You ever sit back and think that about it? Linda, did you ever think, boy, I hope Opie, I, or Andy, I call him Opie because that's what I grew up with. I hope Andy gets cancer when he grows up. But we think that about God. We put it on God. Well, God did this and God did that. Do, do you think God's glorified by that? Or, man, I hope, I hope she grows up and goes to prison. I really wish that. My, no one does that. Parents don't do that. God doesn't do that to us either. He's glorified by seeing us, by seeing us uh, live in authority and seeing us live blessed lives. You're happy and glorified when your kids do something great. You think that's not, you say, I'm not glorified. You think that's not true? When you raise a kid that goes to prison, people look down on you because they say, one of these school shooters, for example, when the, 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 the world looks at his parents and says, boy, where did you mess up at? What did you do wrong? They're put down by that. But if your son becomes the president of the United States or your son becomes a pastor of a big mega church, they say, how did you raise him? You must have been a great praying mama and you did all these things right. So you're glorified and you're happy when your kids do something great, right? 
Every demon in hell shudders at his name, at the name of Jesus Christ. I'm still talking about the power in the name of Jesus, right? They believe it. They know. They shudder. They shake and tremble just at the sound of his name. They leave. They'll flee from you if you use that name, especially if you use some scripture after it. They believe. Do you? Do we believe? Do we believe as much as a demon does or as much as a foul spirit does? They saw. They saw firsthand Jesus go down there and take those keys to death, hell, and the grave. They saw him put the devil on public display. Their master. Their leader. The head one. Stripped down of all of his authority. Stripped down of every weapon that he had. Marched around. Utterly defeated. Did you read in the Bible anywhere, some of you Bible scholars, have you read anywhere where the demons jumped in and helped him out? Didn't happen. They knew better. They saw how their leader was completely and totally and utterly defeated, and they watched. They watched as that happened. That's why they fear that name. That's why they tremble at the sound of that name. They believe. Does the church? Does the church believe? If we did, why do we live in lack? Think about it. Why do we live in poverty? Why do we live in fear? What are you worried about? Why do we have sickness? Think about it. Do you believe? Do you believe? One of my favorite scriptures, are, and if you read it, I read, I read you Luke 10, 19, and 20 all the time, right? Yeah. You all know it by heart probably, don't you? What is it, babe? Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power. You can smash vipers and scorpions under your feet, and you can walk all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And I've always got so hung up on that word when he gives us power, I think that's just great and it's awesome, and it is. But think about the second part of that scripture. God just gave me a revelation of this this week. He says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Think about that. That's a big statement. Jesus, this comes from Jesus. Jesus said this. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means. What's that mean? Nothing shall by any means hurt you. I believe that means never, ever, never. Right? Isn't that what Jesus meant? But we still see it. We still see it. If it's never, ever, never, it should be never physically, never mentally, never spiritually. Shall anything ever hurt you? Because Jesus gave us the power back that he took from the enemy. Did he not? That's what he said there, didn't it? But there's some things that we have to do. Some things on our side of the fence. Acts 3, 4 through 7 says this. This was a, a, a beggar that was at the church. It says, and fixing his eyes on him. This is talking about Peter and John. Fixing his eyes on him, the beggar. And John, or with John, Peter said, look at us. So he looked at this man and said, look at us right here. Make eye contact. He was getting, a t- he was getting this beggar's attention. This man, this man was handicapped. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. You see this right here? He was expecting to receive something from them. I tell you all the time, did you come expecting something, right, Sister Tanya? Expectation is a breeding ground for miracles. This man thought he was going to get some money, Brother Stephen. He thought he was getting ready to get paid. He was expecting something, but he didn't know he was going to get something much greater than a monetary payment, right? Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He used, you feel the Holy Ghost in that? He used that name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Come on. And he took him by the the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately, how long did it take? 
Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. Immediately, he gained strength in his ankles, and it said he went leaping and running off, and, and everybody saw that he was the man who was begging at the gate, at the gate of, the, of, the, of the church. And guess what happened? Bunch of them got saved. God was glorified. God was glorified through the name of Jesus because they did it in a way that, that it was right to do it in. Has God changed? God hasn't changed a lick, babe. <laughs> My wife told me I was redneck the first time I said God hasn't changed a lick from the pulpit, but that's fine. God hasn't changed. He's an eternal God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. He still wants to do these kind of things. Church, do we believe? Do we believe? Are we living right? Why don't we see this happen every day? Daily. If it was happening from Paul's apron and Paul's handkerchiefs and, and they walk up, Peter walks up and tells the man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk and takes him by the hand and pulls him up. Why isn't it happening today? The Bible says we'll do greater things than they did, right? In the name of Jesus to glorify God. Can you picture this? Picture if we could walk. How many people are here today? 50? Say, about roughly. If we, if we, 50, 55 people, there was 12 of them, they changed the whole world, but that's besides the point. If we could go to the VA hospital today, me and Brenda go down to the VA hospital, and we healed the people in there. And then you all went to the Liberty Hospital, and you healed the people in there. And you all went to the Richmond Hospital and healed the people in there. You get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. How many people would be, how, how, how well would God be glorified through that? How many people would come to Christ through that? Think about that. There'd be an explosion. In this. this is how they changed the world. This is how they did it. They preached the truth. They told them to repent. When they, repent, when they repented, they added to the army. This is what they did. They used the name of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? In Leviticus chapter 26, God said, if you follow my decrees, five of you will chase off a hundred. Y'all read this before? And if you follow my decrees, a hundred of you will chase 10,000 out of your land. A hundred people are going to chase 10,000 people out. This is how they'll be blessed. You'll be throwing out your crops out of the storerooms from last year. You'll still be eating on your last year's crops, and you'll be throwing them out to make room for the crops that are coming in this year because you ain't got room for the blessing that he's given us when they live according to his decrees. But if you don't follow my decrees, he says in chapter 26, go back and read it for yourself. If you don't follow these decrees, the enemy will run through your nation, right? They'll have your way in, their nation, in your nation. You'll plant seeds in vain. The enemy will eat your crops, right? It's critical that we follow, follow God's decrees. Church, it's critical. God expects and demands obedience in every aspect of our life. He expects and demands obedience. God's people shouldn't live in lack, right? I've showed it to you today in scripture. We should not, the church should not be living in lack. We should be blessed. Back then they didn't have welfare. When they started the first church, they all brought their things in. They gave into the church. They all had plenty. It went around. They took care of the widows. They took care of the orphans. And guess what else? You didn't live off the church because the Bible says if you didn't work, you didn't eat. It's not like the system we have today. If you don't work, you don't eat. God's people should not live in lack, though. One drop of his blood has the power to save the whole world. Do you get that? There's power in the name of Jesus. So let me ask you this, then. What's the problem? Is there sin in the camp? Are we living in sin or harboring sin? How is our, how is our uh, 
moral excellence. Are we living a morally excellent life? Ask yourself this on yourself. I'm not, talking, I'm not asking you to judge the person next to you. I'm not asking you to judge me. I'm asking you to judge yourself. The Bible says if we'll judge ourselves, then we won't be judged. Church, we need to look at ourselves. Take a long look at ourselves. Are we living a morally excellent life? What are we doing when no one's looking? Are we doing the right thing? Here's another one. Are we harboring unforgiveness? Is there someone that we haven't forgiven? I'm preaching on this in two weeks. Is there someone we haven't forgiven? Are we harboring unforgiveness toward God? Are we baptized in the Holy Ghost? Does our faith need some work? Do we need to learn how to talk? That's a big one. A lot of us need to learn how to talk. Because we claim a lot of things on ourselves instead of casting those things away from ourselves. Right? Are we baptized in the Holy Ghost? We need an upper room. The church needs an upper room experience. We should be seeking diligently this upper room experience. A personal, intimate relationship with God. We desperately need his power. We talk about missional. We talk about building this church up. We need the power of God. Church, we can't do it on our own. We can only go so far in our flesh. And it's important that we get up in the morning and we do the things we do and we're here every service and we give into the tithe and, and, and we give extra offerings above that and we work in the church, we do our jobs, we do all those things. It's important that we tell our families about God. It's important that we're praying for each other. All the things that we do, all the steps in the process that we do are very important. They're all critical. But we need that power. We need to tap into that power of the name of Jesus. That's what he put it there for. He told his disciples, don't go, out, don't go out and tell anybody about me. Don't go out and minister to anybody for me until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, we should be desperately seeking the Spirit. We should be desperately seeking that power that comes along with the name of Jesus. He said we'll do more than they did, yet we're not. I don't believe Jesus is a liar. I believe the ball's in our court, and we failed. We haven't failed totally we are failing right now. We have a chance to improve on this. We have a chance to get better. Could I get anybody who this touched today to come to the altar? Come on to the altar. If you haven't been living in the power and all the glory glorifying God, come to the altar. Come on now, that should be everybody. I've already spent my time down here when he gave me this. It should be everybody. We need to repent, church. We need to get back to where we came from excited and zealous for him, operating in that power that he's given us, delegated to us. If we're not following the rules, we'll lose that authority. That delegated authority will no longer work for us if we're not, if we're not following his decrees. Are you following me? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal savior. Maybe that's you. Maybe you'd like to get it right with him today before you leave here. Everybody's going to stand before him one day. It's either heaven or hell. Whatever you choose to do. I don't believe anything happens by chance. You may think you're just here because you were invited today. Maybe somebody nagged you to come along with them. Whatever the situation is, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you today. Are you ready to ask Jesus for forgiveness? Are you ready to make heaven your home? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us. I've done funeral 
funerals of young men before, 19, 20 years old. You think they planned on dying that day when they left their house? Thought never crossed their mind. Thought they had all kinds of time left. And then we buried them. They'll stand in front of God one day. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you, we'll all stand in front of God one day. The Bible says death, hell, and the sea will give us their dead. That means everybody who's ever existed on this planet, everybody who will exist in the future, will stand in front of God. You'll be judged. If you ask God to forgive you of your sins, he'll take the blood of Jesus and wipe that sin out. Wipe it out of your life. Are you following me? Never to be charged to you again. The Bible says he cast it as far as the east is to the west. Never charged to you again. Now you're only responsible from right now forward. Anybody willing to make that commitment today? Can I get every head bowed? Every eye closed? I don't want to embarrass anybody or call anybody out today. If you're willing to make that commitment, could I see your hand? Thank you for the hands. I see two hands. Is anybody else willing to make that commitment? Thank you for the hand. Anybody else? Just two? All right, church, can we go ahead and repeat after me? If you, if you say this prayer today and you mean it in your heart, we believe that you're saved here. The Bible says that there's only a few things you have to believe to be saved. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe that you're a sinner. You have to believe that he died on a cross for your sins. And you have to believe that he's coming back for you someday. And Jesus, or God rose Jesus from the dead. And you have to confess that with your mouth. Right? So let's go ahead and do that now if we can. Father, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I know that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I know you rose him from the dead. I know he's coming back for me someday. Please lead me and guide me. Live in my heart the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. If you said that prayer right there today, I believe that you're saved. However, it doesn't mean it gives you a license to sin. You've got to go back out and live the way you, you, you know that you should be living. The Bible gives a clear definition of sin. For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if you're doing something that you know is wrong, you have to stop doing that thing. You replace it with something that is in God's will, what God wants us to do. Right? Get in a Bible. Tell someone you got saved today. Tell someone you gave your heart to God. Get a Bible and read a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let me know before you leave here. I have a Bible that's easy for you to read. You can get in and read it. You have to start a relationship. That's what you're getting saved for is to have a relationship with Jesus, right? And all those other things, all the corks and things that you ha- think you have wrong with you, they'll fall off. How do we thank you for this day, Father?
We praise you, Lord. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We magnify your name, Father God. We thank you for this tongue and this interpretation here today, Father. I pray that you would have your will in this church, Daddy. We just praise you, Father. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Daddy. Thank you, Father. We'll go ahead and close in prayer. Daddy, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the new souls who have entered your kingdom today, Father God. Lord, we, we just thank you for your mercy and your love, Lord, and your peace, Father God. We thank you for this interpretation that came today, Father God. We love you and we magnify you, Father. Lord, I pray that you would keep us safe spiritually, physically, Lord. Keep us safe in every aspect of our lives, Father. Bring us back here at our next appointed time, Father. Bring us back here with visitors, Father, Lord. And I pray that you would use this church body here to grow your kingdom, Daddy. In Jesus' name we pray these things, Father. Amen.